Welcome to Geek Exploration, the podcast, where we explore our topics panel by panel. I'm Ben Robinson. And I'm John Williams. Face front, true believers. We're talking comics. pretty good how have things been with you there john oh uh busy 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 bees whether it's uh whether it's work or parenting or trying to get comics drawn always something to do you do anything interesting this week uh no no nothing yet you read any good comics lately not of the book form because i generally only read those when you give them to me oh i'm slacking then yeah like i've i've, I've seen I read like halfway through that one with Batman's dick, just because it had Batman's dick in it. I mean, how do you pass that up? Yeah, yeah, that happened. <laughs> I saw the picture of it. Yeah, I know we're uh, we're dating this episode, but Batman's yeah. dick will never get old. That's uh... <laughs> oh, I think that's our first T-shirt design. <laughs> Bat dick. But yeah, that's that's wild. And I was actually reading the comic last night and. There's more than just those couple panels. Granted, it's it's far away, but I mean, Batman is hanging his dick out. Why is Batman running around nude? I don't know. Just just because. He came home from a little adventure where he met up with John Constantine and Deadman showed up and I won't spoil, you know, the the main the main plot line for it. But he comes home and just takes his bat suit off cuz he's curious about how his body's doing. I guess his computer can scan him now. And he's just like, computer, check out my scars and see if there's any signs that I was stabbed a bunch of times. And by the way, check out my dick. And then later on, Wait, he's he doesn't like, know if he's been stabbed or not. Is this like over the is he like, you know, taking stats like, hey, how, how many times have I been stabbed? Or is it like I've been stabbed so many times I can't even tell if I'm stabbed at, when I'm stabbed anymore. I need this computer to tell me. No, this is no no big plot killer. Um, the book started with him having been stabbed a bunch of times in in fatal spots and then he meets up with constantine and then wakes up and he's healed so when he goes back to the bat cave he's like mm. what the fuck how did this happen got it yeah and then later on he's like i'm gonna go sit in my study with my dick hanging out i do that sometimes i mean i don't have a study but i'll you know, hang around with my dick out yeah and if if i was doing a comic book i might go well should we do this maybe and then people are like oh this is the new john williams black label comic so you can do things like this and be like okay we're totally gonna have ben's dick hanging out until people freak out and we're like oh we better cover ben's dick for all future publications okay so he's just hanging around at, at home yeah naked yes okay well that, that makes some sense so what were people upset about that batman has a dick yes well, I think that goes without saying, doesn't it? Well, I mean, you you look at the history of comic book illustration, and most artists don't really draw a bulge there, so maybe they just figured it was kind of a Ken doll situation. Oh, well, I'm I'm glad the the sheet has been pulled from their eyes, and they realize that Batman has a dick. Oh, but they're putting that sheet right back on. They're they're making DC comics. I heard from one of our friends that over at our local comic shop, somebody heard about it or saw it maybe, and instantly canceled all of their DC comics titles on their saver. Are they worried they're going to become gay? I have no idea. I mean, that's actually probably a credible th threat. I mean, Batman's a hell of a man. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe you see his dick and you're just like, you know what? That's that's for me. Yeah. That's it. Done with ladies. Where, where'd you have it? Was it when was I had it, it over here? Was, no, it was at Kyle's house. Oh, okay. Yeah, during D&D. &D. Kind of thumbed through it while he was smoking his 10th cigarette. 
Yeah, that's not that's not exactly the comic that you would be sitting there uh, reading for literary purposes. Well, and it it didn't have a whole lot of words too. It was pretty art heavy, pretty crotch heavy. Yeah. <laughs> well, today we're we're talking comics. I think it was uh it was only a matter of time. You and I have created comics together. I am uh, I'm a huge comic geek, and I would I would say you at least dabble in the hobby. Oh yeah, I love comics. I'll, I I I well, I do read comics regularly, just different ones than you. Yeah, the ones with Batman's dick in them. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, if it's got yeah, that's all it needs is cartoon dicks. Yeah, and I'm all there. Yeah, more dick, please. Yeah, DC needs to stand for Dick Comics, and they, will, they will have all your money. I thought they were finally living up to their credo. Yeah, that's what Black Label is. It's Dick Comics Black Label. Yeah, just a just a few bullet points into the history of comics. Um, we go back to 1933, and what uh, most people—I well, don't know who most people is—but comics historians? Question mark. I don't know. Is that a job? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you nice. actually can be that. Yeah, I know DC's got one. He protects the vaults, and they've got like a, at least one copy of like every comic they've ever published in oh, all of these bitching. drawers and shit. Yeah, I've seen some uh, some behind the scenes footage. It looks fantastic. Does that uh, go all the way back to like action comics and like pre DC yes. stuff? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. As far I mean, I don't think there is a single comic they don't have in there. It's possible because there 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 was a lot. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, they do. They find a way to find them. It's important to them. So there's at least like five comics historians in the world. Yeah. Yeah, like you could if that's what you're shooting for, you can go for that or like astronaut or rock star. And you're probably just as likely to be any one of those. Um, So you go back to 1933 with the publication of Famous Funnies, a carnival of comics. You know, in the early days of comic books, they were collections of comic strips that already existed. It must have been calling from the newspaper cartoon strips, creating books out of them, and just repackaging them, reprinting them, selling them for a dime. Hey, get dimes where you can. Yeah. Well, yeah, the first uh, nationally syndicated comic in newspapers was back in 1908. Oh, shit. Yeah. Mutt and Jeff, apparently, by Bud Fisher. I read that. Never seen the comic. I saw, like, a picture of it briefly. Yeah, I know the name Mutt and Jeff. All the way back to 1908. And they had, like, political cartoons before that on and off. You know, you'd see, like, the stuff from the Civil War of the president, like, eating a big bowl of money or something. (laughs) <laughs> biting social commentary yeah yeah now mutton jeff i i swear i swear that was still running when when we were kids and we had paper routes it, it might have just been I, it might have been rerun i mean well stuff like peanuts was running when we had paper routes and i think he was still doing some stuff but i mean yeah most of that was reprinted stuff from the 70s yeah it had to have been i guess i mean he was doing it for a long ass time yeah i think he retired when we were kids Boy, we should do some but research. They, but they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Charles Schultz retired when we were kids, but he kept, uh, but they kept running peanuts for. I think they still run peanuts in a lot of newspapers. Yeah, I think I think in the Sack B, it finally stopped like a few years back. That's too bad. Yeah, it's history. Well, yeah, and, and I think Will Eisner started publishing the Spirit as a Sunday newspaper supplement, didn't he? Um, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, I think he had that and like some other stuff thrown in. It was like a it was like a comic book, but it came out with the newspaper because that's where comics were at that point in time. Oh yeah, that does sound familiar. 
Yeah, so then I guess, um, you know, as uh, as the reprinting started to gain popularity, publishers were looking for original content, which leads us, of course, the 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 man, uh, 1938's Superman by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, which is the official kickoff of the uh, the superhero comic book, even though pulp characters existed before then. You know, Doc Savage, who had his own fortress of solitude and he was you know a superior man yeah like tarzan uh, yeah dick tracy and all that you know yeah and uh like the shadow who was a huge influence on uh on batman as well as i i, I think the phantom uh came before batman as well that wouldn't surprise me at yeah all. yeah and the, those those uh those old characters are great i i still love them to this day like i i want them to make a new shadow movie so bad like some movies they try to make grim and gritty and they shouldn't be shadow should be that shadow movie in the nineties with Alec Baldwin. Like it was, it was too much of the Dick Tracy vein, which I love Dick Tracy to which death. Is perfect for Dick Tracy though. Like the, the Dick Tracy movie was solidly in the vein of like you didn't, Dick Tracy didn't need to be all gritty and grimy and no, and you know, it was, it was okay to be a bit more fun and cliche, I guess. Yeah. I think with all the kind of semi ridiculous villains and well, yeah, and I mean they they it, it's such a conundrum because they they took it they took it serious enough to do makeup that won an Oscar, but yet it was still very much a a whimsical jokey movie. I'm convinced that you know that's one of those movies uh, that like a lot of a lot of comic book movies from the '90s. Well, I wouldn't say a lot, I guess, but there's other ones like Mystery Men where. It came out in the wrong time. If it came out these days, it would fucking kill. It would make so much money. But back in those days, you know, like Dick Tracy, I don't think it did that bad. I think it gained a gained a pretty not great reputation afterwards. But, you know, movies like The Shadow and The Phantom, you know, those are movies that taken seriously, I think could be great. So what was that? What was in action comics before Superman showed up? Nothing. Because it was action comics. It was action comics. Number one. Yeah. Yeah, Batman. However, um, he showed up in. Oh shit! I should know this, but I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, as as, as much of a comic geek as I am, I don't. I'm not so detail oriented. Like, it doesn't matter. issue numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Detective Number Twenty Seven in uh, in 1939. It's not trivia night. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, if, Any if, listeners if, out there are going to get pretty angry. If you're at coming me. to us for your trivia facts. Probably not going to do that great in trivia. Yeah, yeah. Go go to Wikipedia. Which is uh, weird because I do pretty well on trivia. Yeah, but all of my knowledge is ne- it's never pertinent, so I'm not going to know anything about what we're talking about. If if we're at a trivia night and there's a category that's comic books, I think I'm going to do pretty fucking well until they say like, "Oh, what issue did this person debut in?" But they're not going to ask that because nobody has that general trivia knowledge. Like yep. if if you are purposely going on like a comic book trivia tv show like that old beat the geeks show like that's the kind of question they'd ask and other than those questions i usually did pretty well when i was playing along yeah with the exception of superman i think most people well not most people but i think enough people know action comics number one there was like pulp comics before that like with the uh tale was tales from the crypt and stuff and uh now that that didn't like the sci-fi comics and stuff was that before the superman or after the Tales from the Crypt stuff, like the EC stuff, that came later. It was like our 40s and 50s. 
Yes, yeah, 50s for sure, because they, they were instrumental in the whole movement in the mid-50s by uh, Frederick Wortham, who took this to, this issue to Congress. He wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent, which claimed that comic books were were the cause of juvenile delinquency and homosexuality among young men, and um, and it actually like caused a huge stir in America. Like uh, comic books went from selling like millions of copies to tens of thousands because of this. People were burning their comic books because this guy convinced so many people that comic books were evil. Well, yeah, because they had like loose women and murder, and especially the like detective pulp ones. They have like the lady on the cover with her clothes all torn off and like the shadow of some guy with a knife. Yeah, the the EC comics, the Tales from the Crypt, the Vault of Horror. You know, like a, a big one. A big one that did it was uh, oh, I don't I don't remember the the issue number, but it was a it was a cover where it's a dude's like kind of his mid region, and his arms hanging down, and it's holding a severed head with an axe in his other hand, and and that you know. That that pulls a lot of weight. It's pretty racy for the fifties. Like if you think like what was going on on the TV, like you couldn't even like flush a toilet on TV. Yeah, yeah. No toilets. No no married couples sleeping in the same bed. Yeah, and then you have people drawing stuff like I could see someone getting their their panties in a bundle about that. And also, Batman was totally a gay pedophile. Well, yeah, nothing's changed there. Duh. Yeah. So after that, like you couldn't you couldn't have words like horror in the title you couldn't have vampirism you couldn't have jeez oh, the guidelines are absurd and that's when the comics code authority was uh was established and uh you know for years up until probably like 80s, probably a decade right? or two ago oh no I, you know it, it became a big thing i think it was marvel that cut ties with the uh with the comics code first and i think it was in the early 2000s what really? Well, I know there was definitely some racier stuff that went on, especially in Marvel comics in the '90s. Yeah, but uh, well, with with Marvel mainstream titles, they kept it. They they adhered to it. But I mean, back in the '80s when all that adult stuff started coming out, Watchmen, yeah, um, Dark Knight, uh, you know, they they didn't use the Comics Code Authority. Like, I mean, they always had the option of not getting the seal of approval from the Comics Code. They just they took so much stock in it being something that that parents looked for, you know, that that for their mainstream titles, they wanted that on there. Really? But it wasn't required at all? No. So going back to Batman in Detective Number 27, like Detective Comics is what DC stood for, or that's where DC came from. So technically oh, it's Detective Comics Comics. Um, and before that, they just had... They had uh, they had detective comics, you know, mystery suspense stories with uh, with see, I'm, I'm not even sure if there are any characters around that existed before that. Maybe Slam Bradley, like two fisted, hard boiled detective. Um, I remember I remember seeing a cover for a comic where there, there was like a like a Fu Manchu villain or something like something. If it something was really culturally days, insensitive. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It would be it would be a super racist comics cover these days. So Batman, so Batman's basically DC's like first real property, but then they acquired Action Comics later on, I assume. No, um, or did the same company own both of them? Yeah, yeah. Back then, it was the company that controlled it was National Publications. They owned both Action Comics and Detective Comics, so they were all under the same stable from the very beginning, and then National became DC Comics. 
So I guess after after the whole seduction of the innocent, you know, most superheroes did not exist anymore. You know, like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, they made it through. Um, So like Sexual Assault Man and Kids Do Cocaine Man didn't make it, huh? Correct. Yeah. That's too bad. Dismemberment Lad, gone. Um, Homosexual Harry. He he stuck around surprisingly. <laughs> they had to uh, they had to tone down the the homosexuality a little bit and change his name to Harold. That was that was for some reason you couldn't shorten the name Harold under the new Comics Code Authority. It was seems sort of weird, weird. draconian rules. Man. Yeah, and yeah. it also had to be Lawrence, not Larry. So I don't know, but for some reason you could keep Barry. You know, like, like well, what is it going to be Barold? Bartholomew. So then I guess the next the next big uh big bullet point would be 1962 Fantastic 4 coming from the mind of Stanley Lieber otherwise known as Stan the man Mr Marvel Lee now said Mr alliteration Oh yeah yeah if I was better at alliteration on the fly I would have done it earlier and <laughs> I would do it right now Story goes, you know, he was really disillusioned with uh, with the industry. He'd been working for uh, Timely Publications, which is what Marvel was before, um, for years as a writer and an editor. And he was just about to quit. And uh, DC had come up with the Justice League, which is a team of superheroes. It was hugely popular. You know, the Silver Age was in full swing. It had the new Flash, the new Green Lantern, had Batman, Superman, Aquaman wonder woman martian manhunter you know it was it was the greatest hits and it was selling so stanley's uh late wife joan you know just she was the one who who spurred him on just said hey you know if you're gonna quit why don't you do one thing for you just just do it so his idea for a team book was a family and that's where he came up with the idea of the fantastic four you know and everyone knows reed richards his wife or girlfriend at the time? I don't know. Yeah, maybe they weren't married right away. She didn't have the same last name. Yeah, Sue Storm. Um, her brother Johnny and Reed's best friend, Ben Grimm, who's a pilot, go into space. They're bombarded by cosmic rays. And they come back with the power to sell lots of comic books. So Stanley, along with Jack Kirby, who is another un- undisputed legend in the comics field, uh, went ahead and created the Fantastic Four. They also created the X-Men, Hulk, the Avengers. Spider-Man. Uh, that was Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. But yes, yeah, no, Stan, yeah, Lee, yeah, Stan Lee. Had yeah, Stan Lee sure. was, was all over this shit. And Jack Kirby, uh, along with Joe Simon, was one of the creators of Captain America back in the 40s. So then they revived Captain America in Avengers number four, brought him back. He's been uh, synonymous with it ever since. And then they just stopped creating good new characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no shit. Like Stan Lee created all the Marvel characters and everyone else just kind of gave up. Well, and you know, for years he was he was either editor-in-chief or or um, uh, publisher, you know, but and eventually he just became uh they they gave him the title chairman emeritus. And I think he got like I think it was just like a flat like million dollars a year. Seems fair i mean he, yeah. he he kind of built the foundation of everything they're standing on so mm-hmm. seems reasonable to keep paying the guy because because he doesn't hold like royalty rights to any of those characters does it? like personally right they're all held by marvel yeah i don't think so because back oh. then you know creators got a page rate and yeah. that was it it was and, like it was like old doo-wop 
acts and stuff where they'd go in and record huge hits and get like you know 300 bucks and die poor well and that was a that was actually a big issue that went on for decades with uh jerry siegel and joe schuster the creators of superman because after a while you know they were like okay well i mean superman up through the 70s was the undisputed biggest comic book character to ever exist you know like everybody loved superman batman almost got canceled in the in the 60s you know like that's nuts i know isn't it yes as superman was was the best he was the pinnacle um and you know jerry siegel and joe schuster they were they were bought outright for for the rights to the character so they're sitting there you know they're getting consistent work because they're producing the comic books but they're seeing nothing from all of this merchandise you know lunch boxes toys uh radio programs back then cartoons yeah everything you know uh, superman was was on kellogg's ads selling kellogg's pep cereal you know it's he was everywhere and they weren't seeing a dime for it through a series of lawsuits i know sometime uh, after a while they started receiving some royalties then they they went back to court to try to get more and i mean it was just such a mess you know unfortunately they're both they're both gone now but you know, even the lawsuit was even going on with Jerry Siegel's family after his death, like to the point to where like nowadays when they uh, when they do the credits for a movie, it's like, you know, Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And it's like Superman appearing by special permission of the Siegel family or something like that. Really? Like they had to add something like that into it. Yeah, the thing about copyright law, I think you know, it's extended so far now where it's what is it like 20 years after the artist dies is when the copyright expires now or something ridiculous like that i couldn't tell you it's it's absolutely stupid all to protect mickey mouse <laughs> and you know i'm i'm torn on the subject because from the from the standpoint of the business back then there was no such thing as merchandising all of this extra crap coming from comic book characters like it was a it was a throwaway thing like these guys were lucky that they were making a page rate to be creating these characters. Oh, yeah, yeah. They didn't see what was coming at all. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at DC Comics' perspective, they don't owe these guys dick. Like, sorry that that's the way the business is. Yeah, you sold it. Yeah, like, tough shit. But, you know, I'd be pretty butthurt. Like, it's the right thing for DC to do something. With Stan Lee, like, Marvel just agreeing to pay him to keep him happy and not sue him. You know, like, hey, thanks for what you did. We can afford to give you some money enjoy your life dude yeah absolutely and and i do think siegel and schuster deserved that uh, but that's a nice thing they're not they're not required to do that no not at all at all and shouldn't be required to do that in my opinion but well and and another another quick anecdote um on this topic um before we spend too much time in the golden age you know bob kane was the sole was solely credited for the creation of batman and it wasn't until just a few years ago where Bill Finger finally started getting some recognition for it as well. There's a really good documentary. I'm uh, it was on Hulu. I hope it's still up there because I would love for everybody to watch it. I think it's called Batman and Bill. Either that might have been doesn't have quite the same ring as Batman and Robin, does it? No, but you know there there was an industry expression. You know, like this guy got fingered because Bill Finger was just as much, if not more, responsible for the creation of the Batman we know now working with bob kane um you know he created 
the the look of batman like apparently originally when bob kane designed him he was like a a blonde haired dude in a red suit with like you know the scalloped bat cape but he wore like a domino mask yeah and it was bill finger that that did all the designs i think bill finger created commissioner gordon you know the bat cave i think he may have even created the origin what's batman's origin i don't think i've seen it in any films uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think he was bitten by a radioactive <laughs> bat. Yeah, that something. sounds yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, Stanley was a hack. <laughs> but it wasn't until, I think the first time it popped up was Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, where it said Batman created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. I mean, and Bill Finger... Is he still alive? No, he's oh. he's passed on. He died penniless. Yeah, that shit happened to a lot of people, especially a lot of creative people back in those days because they were in rock and roll and comics and TV, all kinds of different industries. They kind of got shafted. Yeah, and it sucks. Like he Don't you know, sell your rights to things you own. Yeah, and be careful who you're working with because Bob Kane knew the truth. And even when confronted with it, well, I guess there was an interview where Bob Kane sort of copped to it, you know, like how important Bill Finger was to it. But he he never he never cut him in on any of the the actual recognition or the royalties or anything. You know, he was a very shrewd man. That documentary is is interesting because yeah, Bob Kane's a dickhead. Well, universal truth: a lot of people are dickheads. Yeah. So if you're dealing with somebody, there's a good chance they might be a dickhead. So watch yourself. Yeah you you <laughs> you better you better find some hard evidence to keep on your person of of being co-creator of space oddities. Because if it takes off, I may just. Oh yeah, just shove me. No, right fuck aside. this guy. I definitely drew this. Yeah, I've been posting on social media about this forever. But um, I, I think another important thing to touch on, um, is going you know from the '60s into the '70s, comic books started touching on more um culturally relevant topics like race and drug use, and a couple of people that were instrumental in that was uh, writer Denny O'Neill um, and artist Neil Adams. They had a run on Green Lantern, which was Green Lantern slash Green Arrow, their hard traveling heroes yeah. um, run where they, they talk about race. There's a very important scene where, where, a, uh, where a black man, you know, talks to Hal Jordan about, you know, I, I paraphrasing, you know, I've seen you save the blue skins. You've done things for the orange skins, but when are you going to help the black skins? You know, like, like, really trying to make them think, you know, like, hey, you're up there in space doing things for everyone, but we've got issues right here that you're not doing anything about. You know, very topical for the time. Um, I guess somebody would say it's still topical. Yeah, I, I don't think we've quite nailed that one yet. No, it's it's not, it, it has not been eradicated. Um, and then they also touched on, uh, you know, they've got a very famous cover of Speedy, Green Arrow's yeah. Ward's drug problem. Mm-hmm. Being a heroin user. And my Ward's a junkie. There was a Spider-Man comic that dealt with Harry Osborn having problems with drugs as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Harry Osborn is, is dealing with drug problems. And that was a strict part of the Comics Code Authority. You could not show somebody doing drugs. Like drugs wasn't, wasn't off, uh off-limits topic and that was actually i believe that was the first comic to run without the comics code authority stamp could could they do that for like individual issues yes okay cool so yeah if you had like a popular issue you could go ahead and throw some heroin and some boobs right into the middle of it and be like sorry we're not going to get this one everyone's going to buy it and then you yeah slip back into being a goody two-shoes after that well yeah the way they thought about it was that it was important to do that 
it was important that like yeah. like the message in that issue was important enough to run without the the comics code authority you know sorry guys and i don't think they were advocating heroin use either i don't they were like hey look how great a time speedy's having with all these drugs yeah not not at all and <laughs> i think the big thing with the spider-man comic was harry osborne was actually you know like having a bad trip so you know it, it was showing the consequences it was being responsible about the topic but that wasn't what the comics code authority was worried about you can have somebody sucking blood as long as they're not doing it with their teeth like a vampire that's how morbius was created the living vampire he he like really yeah sucks plasma oh and he sucks plasma not blood yeah and it's like through his hands or some <laughs> shit jesus unless they did that just for the spider-man cartoon but i don't think they did that was also why he was the living vampire because you you couldn't have the undead in comics either so no zombies huh no zombies jeez i wonder how they got away with stuff like like frankenstein because he definitely existed in, like, in DC. He's probably like grandfathered in to some degree. Like he was Frankenstein. He but by, by that time he was pretty innocuous already. Yeah. Yeah, he was a Frankenstein. Like he was his own category. He was he wasn't undead, he wasn't a zombie, he was a Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah, and he was uh you know, he'd already been kind of disarmed from the monsters and all that. Oh yeah, good call. Where he was, you know, where they had a Frankenstein like character who was just kind of a big goof. Um, and then I guess one last cultural touchstone to hit before I leave you alone about comics and or comic books and their histories was the 80s. Of course, we already touched on that very briefly. Um, you know, comics grew up a little bit, got a little more mature, got dark and gritty and set the tone for the next 35 years and running or so, almost 35 years, you know, with uh, with Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. And the British invasion, you know, leading to Vertigo comics, which I think is a great thing that that, oh, it, yeah. that it did. But man, image split off. Yeah, you know, 1986, Dark Dark Knight Returns made it cool to hate Superman. So I will forever be embittered <laughs> towards Frank Miller for that. You know, he's come out in interviews talking about like he's like I love he he doesn't hate Superman. You know, that wasn't his intention. He just needed a character to be a government stooge, and it made sense for his story for oh, it to yeah. be Superman. Yeah. But man, did it turn people against Superman. It's like the worst government stooge you could think of. Yeah. Like, I mean, you better find a way to keep him happy because you're not going to be able to like hold Lois hostage and be like, okay, do the government's work. Like he's going to get you. Well, yeah. Well, yeah you got to indoctrinate him. Yeah. Now, Ben, you've, uh, you've dabbled in creating comics, haven't you? I mean, I helped out with some writing. I, my drawing skills are lacking. Yeah, you don't have to draw to, to be a creator. No, I did, uh, yeah, back when we did our first book, Travels in Time, I wanted to help out. Like, I helped with writing, and, you know, the writing process is a lot faster than the drawing process is. Oh, tell me about it. Like, there's a lot more work that goes in after you've kind of written, uh, like, a little script and plot, and you say, okay, good, I like this. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, something's drawn. <laughs> so if you're lucky, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. If you had time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's not, not, not with, with my rate, especially back then. So for those of you who don't know, Ben and I have collaborated on uh, some comic books throughout the years. We did a story that ran in a, uh, an anthology series called Gilded Castle Quarterly. It was some, uh, some Sacramento locals independently published book. Uh, we were working with the Gilded Castle Studios at the time. 
And we did a time travel story where we shamelessly threw ourselves in there. What was the genesis of the idea? I think it was just sitting around bullshitting, talking about what would we do if we had a time machine and someone made an offhand comment about changing time and then coming back and having the world taken over by Stalinist lizard men. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of took that as the kind of the basis of the story and ran from there. We would always daydream about like, you know, what, what would we do if we found a time machine? And eventually it turned into when we find a time machine, we're going to go do this. You know, like this, the, we were, we were essentially making a roadmap for the eventuality that we found a time machine. So we wrote a book where a time machine just showed up because why not? Right. Yeah. And the crux of the story was essentially how did we fuck up everything so badly and can we fix it? And we never really got to the, to the end or anywhere near the end of the beginning, <laughs> we got near the end of the beginning. Yeah, we yes. were we were one chapter away from ending the beginning. Rather than the the Marty McFly going back in time and fucking something up, you know, we were like, hey, what if we were supposed? What if what if history is the way it is because we went back and messed with it? So we we are responsible for all these important things that happened. And when we decided in the beginning to not use the time machine, that's when. Everything went all topsy-turvy and tits up, and, uh, and then we had to go try to figure out what it was that we did in the first place. Just enough of a little spin. Due to the drawing process being so much more of the work, I did try and help out on that one with uh, trying to do a little bit of coloring and lettering and stuff, and it was eh. You didn't have to do it. I think that was the best part about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I So I I drew the comic. I did the, the pencils and the inks. And then I was also experimenting a lot with gray tones and washes and, you know, whether it's watercolor or ink or even watercolor pencil. And it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of work. And like, looking back, I feel bad. I mean, I think we can all look at the stuff and go like, okay, for a first time colorist, it's not going to be easy. You know, there's a lot of shit to learn. Um, you picked up on the technical stuff super quick, but, but, you know, like uh, there's, there's so many things you have to think about that even I didn't think about until looking at it. And I feel bad cause I, I just sort of, I just sort of shot it down and like, I, I felt bad, but, it, but at the, I, I felt so overprotective about, about the art. It was my baby. Well, you know, I just wanted to help and contribute a bit more because it's also worth mentioning that I am slightly colorblind, Yes, which does not make me. The best candidate for a colorist. Yeah, it's true. But you know, but you know, do what I can. Yeah, and and you know, if you're doing the writing and the lettering, that's perfect for you because you spell so well. Yeah, yeah. There was not a single typo. No, in any of those issues, (laughs) not one. Yeah, and you know, there there have been times over the years where I've I've gotten out those old pages for the fourth chapter that was never finished, and I always want to finish it, and I just something gets in the way every time so one day i will do it and nowadays we got we got something else in the works don't we we do we're working on a comic called space oddities about some space antique dealers not really dealers they're more procurers of yes rare and fantastic items yeah rare antiquities in space this is an idea that we had crafted years and years ago before even the time travel one we were going to make a pitch for Adult Swim. I had gone to Comic-Con um, when I was 19, and, and the uh, the Adult Swim boom was just starting to happen. I went to a panel there, and man, it, it just it sparked me. So we were going to make a cartoon proposal for this, and you know, we were, we were we, young. We were 19, and we had a lot of other activities. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And so, so, you know, we decided to make a comic out of it, and never... 
it never super materialized. I, I used it for projects when I went to animation school, cartoon college. And then years later now, um, we are making a comic out of it and we've got a plan and I feel like the time is right. I, I was off to a, to a good pace and then we started podcasting and yeah. I, and I got injured and, and, uh, this life yeah. happened. Yeah. What is it you find appealing about drawing and comics and, you know, why do you, why, why are you drawn to drawing comics? It's all storytelling. I don't know. I don't know why I want so badly to be a storyteller, but I think we were talking about this before. Mm-hmm. You know, I love being transported even for just a minute into somewhere else, you know, somewhere that's that's a little less mundane or, you know, like even going back to like the Bobby's World cartoon back in the day. You remember that? Yeah. There was also a cartoon called oh, yeah. Fantastic Max when we oh, were yeah, I remember super... how he'd build okay. a rocket ship out of sand. And yes. Stuff. Yeah. He had a mohawk, I think. He, I, I think he did. Yeah. A little red mohawk. Yeah. And um, and you know just just having that sort of imagination where you can where you can go and create worlds and situations and and adventures, I don't know how abnormal this is, but my I feel like my brain is it never stops running. You know I'm not thinking about things I should be thinking about and you know using it to become more intelligent and make more money, but I'm just daydreaming, and I I love being able to put that down on paper. And yeah, I don't know. I've always loved movies and, and TV and cartoons and comic books and books to a lesser degree, word books. Yeah, but, well, and you've done like storyboarding and stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah. Storyboarding was um, was an easy thing to get into having always wanted to draw comics growing up. They get paid better from what I understand. I don't know. I, I The movie industry seems to be fairly profitable. Yeah, those sons of bitches. There needs to be a movie industry thriving in Sacramento. And, you know, you don't have to worry about page layout with that. You can be a bit looser with your drawings. So I would love to be a storyboard artist. But, you know, there there is something to take pride in when you when you actually see a comic book that you created, um, you know, in a physical form in your hands. It's stapled. It's colored or not. There's a great feeling of pride having created something like that. You know, like I was saying, it it, it is like your baby. Yeah. And um D- does that feeling linger after a few years when you look back at it and go, "Damn, I'm better than that now." Oh, like, it, like, how, like how do you feel looking at some of your older stuff that that was that we published? You know, looking at the time travel stuff, I'm super proud of that because I like I know how much better I am than I was then, but that one even though it was independently published, it it was it had a professional look. That whole comic book my stuff was was the best it had been at the time, and like the 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 only previous independently published work I'd had was you know uh, photocopied at Kinko's and stapled, and you know my pages were out of order because the my my buddy who was compiling it yeah just uh, uh. <laughs> it kind of messes the story up a little bit yeah just a little don't bit happen in the right order unless you're Quentin Tarantino or something can pull that off. Well, it was interesting because it was a silent story. So I, I had a couple people, you know, try to try to look at it and interpret it. You know, let me know what the, what the story was saying. But um, yeah, it was definitely a different story. Uh, so having that one in my hands, like I still, I'll still run across copies of that sometimes at the used bookstore, and I am super, super proud of that. You know, yeah, there were things I would have done differently, but I love that. And then you know, my latest work when I was working with the um, Ghost Thunder Collective doing Hot Rod in Space. Yeah. That stuff, I mean, that is currently my best work. So I 
I am super proud of that stuff too. And you know, it and when you get feedback from people at conventions, that just man, it just rockets you forward. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and take a quick little break. Uh please enjoy these advertisements. To stop the evil doomsday hero who's more than a man. Superman. He's been called the greatest, the strongest, the first among heroes. High-voltage villain Conduit is powered by Kryptonite. But with Krypton cannon blasting, laser Superman powers him down. Conduit will learn, don't mess with the S. Superman. It's the dreaded Doomsday, the most fearsome force in the universe. Even Doomsday will learn, you don't mess with the S. Superman figures each sold separately, blocks not included. Welcome back, folks. We're still talking comics. So, Ben, you've made allusions to the fact that you're not as much of a comic book reader as I am. But, again, I say illusions because it's like, oh, oh, there's something behind there. So what, what's, what's your bread and butter as far as comics go? These days I read a lot of web comics. Oh, okay. Um, what, what, are, what are web comics? Like Spider-Man? Yes, j- just like Spider-Man. Like the internet has, I mean, there's just a, a stupid amount of weekly slash, some of them are daily co- comics. But yeah, no, I, I read a lot of web comics. I read, um, you know, stuff like, like Saturday morning breakfast cereal. It's just kind of like a, you know, more like a funny type comic where it's, it, there's no overarching story or anything. It's just comics. It's just like, like daily self-contained. Yeah. Yep. You know, a few panels every day. Yeah. And, well, yeah. And he does stuff every single day. It's shock. I don't know how he manages to put out as much content as he does. It's uh, Zach Wienersmith is the guy's name. <laughs> and, uh, but then I, I read other stuff like Earthworld, which is really cool. How's that, that spelled? E-R-F. Okay. So like Will yeah. Smith saying Earth. Er, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Earthworld, which uh, it, it's like a guy gets transported essentially into a world where it has like board game type rules. Okay. And uh hijinks ensue. But it is uh but it is definitely like a serial like you know there was a plot and it it progresses incredibly slowly, but uh I I look forward that comes out like twice a week and I look forward to it every time. Now do these do these guys like do a certain amount and then um publish it in book form or does it always just live digitally some of them like uh i know saturday morning breakfast cereals put out a few books um control alt delete is another one mm-hmm. he's put out a few books like compilations of story arcs and stuff yeah because i've seen that i've seen that penny arcade strip has put yeah, out a penny bunch arcade of books does some stuff, yeah. never cared for it i try i tried reading it just was not my cup of mustard yeah i, I like penny arcade i it, it's they're not all hits and well the nice thing is a lot of them are just, you know, it's like three three panels long. So if it's not great, it's fine. Skip to the next one. But like Cyanide and Happiness, you ever read Cyanide and Happiness? No, but wait, wait, no, no. It's like four dudes. I've I've seen I've seen like a stick- lot of their their memes and strips on the social media. Oh yeah, they're, yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, 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 they're fucking hilarious. Oh yeah, and they do like a depressing comic week every year, where they're not funny at all. They're just really horrifying and and sad. I need to subscribe to that. Check yeah. it out. Cyanide and Happiness is stellar. It's absolutely great. Oh, there's there's a ton of them. I can't say I've delved too much into the the web comic scene. Um, there is one book that I picked up that was uh, printed from web comics because it was it's an artist I really dig named Carl Kershaw. Um, he was doing this strip called uh, The Abominable Charles Christopher. 
which is it's I mean, it's very much like visual storytelling. I think it's great. I think that's one of the things that is kind of cool about web comics too is that there's uh they're they're generally free and there's very low overhead. So they're the kind of things people can self-publish fairly easily. So you see a good bit of experimentation that um you know, publishers that actually have to put out a book and ship it across the country to comic book stores and stuff might not be willing to take a chance on. Yeah. Um, that said, because of that, there's probably almost certainly a lot of garbage out there too that, that just isn't what mo- a lot of people aren't are going to like. But if you can pick through it, I mean, there's I got less time than I have comics to read. And that's true for me too, but that's yeah. that's with with physical copies. Even I've got a stack in the bathroom that I just can't seem to whittle down. No matter how much I read, I need to not go into the bathroom with my phone, and then spend yeah. and then spend the same amount of time in there reading comics. Yeah, you got to pick one or the other. Yeah, you know my my issue with web comics is that I just don't like reading on the computer screen. I don't like it. Same thing with tablets and and on my phone. Yes. I don't like doing it. That that was the biggest hurdle for me because I don't. I also don't generally like. I like. I would prefer to read something on paper or at least on a tablet where it's a decent format. I don't like reading stuff on my phone. Like occasionally I'll have like an actual comic book that I'll try and read on my phone, and it's just too damn small. Yeah. That said, I like comic books. I like comics. I have a limited amount of time to read them and a limited amount of money, and for me, it's not worth spending money on comic books holy shit dude i go to the comic shop every wednesday to get my new books got to savor at my local shop and even with my ex-employee discount i have at big brother comics in sacramento california go there for all of your comic book needs kenny's great i still you know like i'm i'm really considering just sort of trade waiting you know uh, just waiting for the graphic novel to come out because they're it's so expensive and then how much is a comic book these days like four, four bucks? bucks yeah, yeah just, that's not for for what 20 pages 22 pages 20. of comic book that like you could literally read through the whole thing in five minutes i mean if you really want to pour over the art or it's got a lot of words you could spend 10 on it yeah and you know it it that that is the frustrating part when you buy a comic especially if it's one that you took a chance on and you read it and then like you close it when you're done and you look at the cover price and you're like I've just gotten all of the value I'm going to get out of this $4 comic book. And now I will never look at this thing again. You know, it it puts it in perspective. It's like, wow, I, I really just wasted some money there. Well, yeah. And I mean, even if you assume you get 10 minutes out of a comic book and it's $4 per comic book, that's $24 an hour to entertain you. Yeah. That's, that's considerably more expensive than going to the movie theater. It's kind of expecting you to fight me on it more, but uh, for me, comic books just aren't, worth spending money on so that's one of the main reasons that i read a lot of web comics and stuff these days is because they're free and i can i get all the enjoyment out of them that i would other stories because i like narrative i like comedy and comics have all of that and there are low just loads of free ones that i enjoy reading well fuck yeah do you remember your your first run-in with comics whether it be comic books or comic strips yeah, you know, what's what's your not not like a specific event, but my first, ex, you know, my first experiences with comics was definitely Sunday comic strips. You know, getting the Sunday paper coming because my parents got the newspaper because that was a thing people did back in the eighties. Yeah, I was gonna make the joke about you know what the fuck's a newspaper. Yeah, so that was a thing they did, and so we got the my parents only got the Sunday paper, um, and going in there and getting that big you know, geez, it was four or maybe three sheets of newsprint. You know, so there was 
like eight pages of comic. It was a ton of comic. Like yeah, yeah, front and back. There was at least Co- two. Color on Sundays. Yeah, big color thing. And I, I used to keep them. I had like a whole drawer full of them. I had like probably a hundred freaking Sunday comics page, you know, packets. What I don't know what you would call those for a long time. And uh, I used to read through the whole dang thing. Do you still have any of those? I do not. I oh, tossed them all yeah, I'm a hoarder, but I'm not that bad. Like, I hated the family circus, but, like, since it was usually one stupid picture and one stupid caption, I would, you know, read it anyway as I was skimming through because it was hard. To, it was almost hard not to read. Jeez. But, yeah, I, I mean, as a kid, I loved Calvin and Hobbes and The Far Side, you know, Peanuts, all of those. Hagger the Horrible. Yeah, yeah. When I was, like, in junior high, I loved Dilbert. I'd never worked in an office, obviously. I was in junior high. I'd never been involved in any sort of <laughs> professional pursuit. But for some reason, I identified with Dilbert and <laughs> enjoyed reading the comic. That's no excuse. Like, I, And I'd read Doonesbury and never understood anything that was going on in it. I remember there was like talking cigarettes and all kinds of weird shit. Oh, and, weird. And it was like, you know, apparently it's biting social commentary and political commentary, but uh, I was not exactly in tune with that stuff. So it was just right over my phone. Yeah, head. we weren't politically savvy back then. But, you know, I would read it anyway, and they'd be commenting on, you know, making some political comment on Ronald Reagan right over my head. Yeah. No, I'd rather, I'd rather discuss important topics like, you know, why Garfield hates Mondays so much. And how he's going to get a lasagna. I loved Garfield as a kid, too. See, I, I don't have as much experience with, with Sunday Funnies. They were always around, but I didn't, I didn't read them as often. I remember reading Family Circus a lot when I had a paper route. Barf. Yeah, you know, it was, I, I, I realize what's wrong with that now, but it was just a, it was a quick little shot. It was, oh, it was, super it was easy. Yeah. Like I said, it was hard to not read as you're skimming through things because it yeah. was like one sentence and a little caption of a little boy like looking at his mom saying something cute. Yeah, but with Garfield, I watched the cartoon more than anything. Garfield and Friends. Oh, yeah. The Far Side, I think, was probably the thing I loved the most in the Sunday comics, for sure. I absolutely adored it and looked forward to it more than anything. And I was really sad when Gary Larson gave it up. Yeah, I remember reading those those Far Side gallery books when we were younger. Oh yeah, and I, in fact, they were probably they were probably yours. I still have some. Yeah, yeah they were they were they were a good time. Yeah, I, I just gave my daughter a Calvin and Hobbes book to read too. Oh man, see Calvin and Hobbes. I, love... I want to buy that whole the whole big collection that they they finally released one where where it's just everything because they've got so many of those small collections. I don't know what overlaps. I don't know, you know, like there mm. there are different size books, so I can go like, okay, all of these ones that are the same size probably aren't repeats. But then there's like the essential Calvin and Hobbes that's got different dimensions. And I imagine it's got some of the some of the greatest hits from the other stuff that and, I that are and have. probably some stuff that only was published in it. And like I've got the like maybe twenty fifth anniversary one or something like that. Maybe no, can't be that long. I think it was the tenth anniversary. Yeah. Anyways, it, but it, it's it's cool. It's got like his commentary. Like so, it's got like oh com- cool the strips, and then it's got like his commentary on like what got what he was thinking when he wrote him and stuff on it. It's pretty rad. That sounds really familiar. I think I may have just found that at the used bookstore. Yeah, it's it's. It, I always I always pick them up when I can find them cheap. Yeah, it's a it's a cool book. The and like I've got the one of the anniversary Farside ones too, where it's got like his original like napkin sketches and then like the finished comic next to it. Oh, and cool! A bunch of commentary on there, like a story about how he got how he got syndicated because he was, you know, working for like fifteen dollars a week. 
Jeez. drawing comics and trying to make a living doing it. And then like went down to like made a meeting, had a meeting in San Francisco and went down there and like, they didn't, didn't even know he was supposed to have a meeting. And so he left the stuff for him and drove back and was just about to like quit comics entirely when he got a phone call saying like the San Francisco Tribune or some San Francisco, you know, they wanted to pick him up. And then after that, it just went, went national and went, you know, went all over the place. Yeah. And uh, he became the Gary Larson we know and love. <laughs> I was going to say, he became Gary Larson, creator of Farside, because yep. he wasn't that before. Did you ever see the Farside TV show? No. I remember seeing like a couple clips from it, uh, probably not too long ago, you know, long after it had ever, you know, existed in real time. It, it was it was weird. I, I saw it on YouTube and watched a episode, the first episode of it a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's definitely very Farsidey. Yeah. However, that is not a format that particularly lends itself to TV very well. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't translate. So, it, like, it was entertaining as a fan, but I can't, it, but I don't, it does not surprise me that it did not catch on. Yeah. Because most people, like, if you hadn't heard of The Far Side, you'd be watching it and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then they tried to, I remember when it cut out, they replaced it with Non Sequitur, and, uh, which is actually, it's a reasonably good comic but it was still trying to fill the same niche and i remember being very bitter about it when i was a kid and being like fuck you you guys aren't the far side what what were the characters in that was that opus and bill no non sequitur was it was it, there was no characters and it. it was kind of like the one panel it, it, they were non sequiturs yeah yeah one panel little joke thing it, very similar to what the far side was doing oh, like okay was totally i mean it was kind of like aping what the far side was doing but it was a different vibe very different co- type of comedy and stuff than gary larson was doing and it, it, you know, looking back, it's funny. It's there's, it's got some pretty good comics still, but I was uh, angry at them. Yeah, I um, not like it was their fault, that guy's fault, whoever did it. <laughs> I remember, you know, whenever that comic was that, it, or when it, whenever it was that that comic came out, I remember not knowing the word non sequitur, and I'd look at that, I was like non sequitur. Is it like? Oh yeah, because it's a, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, fucking French ass words. Huh. The first comic I ever read was superboy number two in 1990 based on the superboy tv series um it was the one where superman or superboy discovers he is bulletproof it's got this cover drawn by kevin mcguire which superboy's face looks really goofy but there's a chick shooting him and he's like like he's terrified he's like oh shit i'm about to die yeah he's like oh this skin tight costume isn't gonna save me at all and he discovers he's bulletproof, and he's relieved. What did he think his powers were before that? Flight and strength. And, I mean, he knew he had resistance to to things, but, like, a gun's a big deal. That's something you're not going to try out. Yeah, you got to get shot to figure that one out. Yes, and I don't think, you know, young Superman was uh, was in a hurry to try to figure that out. What What was Superboy's... Like at that point in the comic, was Superboy a young Superman, or was he, because he wasn't, or was he son of Superman or something like that? No, he was he was a young Superman. So up until uh, nineteen eighty six, when Crisis on Infinite Earths retconned everything, Superboy were was the he he was, you know, it was the Adventures of Superman when he was a boy. It was like Smallville. Yeah, and. You know, so with that, it was, you know, instead of Superman being a champion in his adulthood, he started when he was a kid and Ma and Pa Kent were alive because pre-crisis they had, they were dead. 
Um, it was only after Crisis where Superman had live parents. But so these Superboy comics, you know, mom made his suit from his baby blankets and he flew around Smallville putting out fires and solving crimes and, you know, accidentally making Lex Luthor lose all his hair in a in a lab fire. Um, and he had a little like rock that was off in the distance that had like a tunnel that went to his parents place so so they wouldn't get busted. Um, and then after Crisis, there was no more Superboy. So this TV series came along in 1989 um, that was produced by the Salkins who produced the first three uh, Superman movies. They, they retained the rights to Superboy when they sold the rights to Superman to uh Canon films who made mm-hmm. Superman four. Um, so this was just based on the TV series and it was a young Superman once again, but it was totally out of continuity. I was just into the, uh, into the TV series that was actually the first comic book that I ever had a saver for at uh, at my local comic shop. Was Crisis on Infinite Earths pre-1990? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was 86, 85, 86. Weird. Like, I mean, I, I read it, but I didn't really put it into context as to when it occurred in my lifetime because I was probably a teenager when I read it. Yeah. 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 So, like, the the continuity that we knew in our lifetime, like the Superman that I grew up with, at least as far as monthly comics is concerned, was post-crisis. You know, Lex Luthor is a, a billionaire that can't be touched by Superman rather than just the... Mad scientist guy. Correct. So, John, I got a what if for you. Yeah. What would you do if super-powered people emerged, like appear, like, you know, they started to be a thing, and and you're not one of them? I'd be sad. Yeah, it'd be fucking lame, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I would be really bummed that, I mean, I, I have a feeling there would be a lot of people in my shoes, too, where it'd just be like, holy shit, like, this exists? What's the point of being normal? Wah, wah. We'd all turn into a bunch of emo teenagers about it. Yeah, and you could send away for, like, a genetic test, like, are you going to get superpowers? And you get back, no. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Man. I'm, I would definitely send out for that test, and if they if there was, like, you know, a way to get powers, I'd I'd go for it, I'm sure, depending on the circumstances. Yeah, they've got a whole menagerie of radioactive animals. <laughs> you get to pick which one bites you. So would you so if supers did emerge, would you be okay with like superheroes going all vigilante and like taking the law into their own hands? I don't think I would have much choice, but in well, you, just... you, could be, you could be one of those people in like the Marvel background of the marvel comics with a sign saying like mutie go home or whatever yeah now knowing the destructive power they have i probably wouldn't want to put myself in that situation because <laughs> if magneto was real and you know he was really pissed off at, at humans he could just like grab grab a bridge or a building and just drop it on all of those protesters i wouldn't want to put myself in that situation see i would i would want to believe that it would make the world a better place you know, until I saw the result of that, I think, yeah, I would be in support of that. Just Do you, do you think it would? Do you think if, like, say, like, 10% of the population got superpowers, you think most of them would use them if they use them at all for uh, good things or, I have or a feeling, causing trouble? I have a feeling most of them would use it for celebrity. Oh, yeah. I think that would be the most likely thing. And, you know, and then I think... If 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 there was if there was three segments if there was hero villain celebrity I think the most people most people would go celebrity then I think villain 
than I think hero because I think to have the selflessness to back up heroic ideals like superheroes do that's tough yeah I think that's very very uncommon I think most people are good yeah just in general I think most people are good people who want to do right by themselves and their family and they don't want to hurt other people yeah they don't want to do bad yeah and so, yeah, I don't think you'd have too many villains, but it doesn't take a lot of villains to really fuck it up for everybody. It's true. I think I think you'd have a fourth category, too, of, I guess, closeted superheroes or supers. People that just would, you know, maybe they have a superpower, but they just keep it to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if they don't want to be a celebrity and they don't want to be any of those. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of quietly have a superpower. See, I, I think I think one thing that that I don't know if it's been explored I don't know how well it's been explored in comics, but just thinking of like myself with superpowers, like, of course, I would want to be a good guy. I would want to stop stop purse snatchers. But if it really came down to like, there's a high chance that you're going to die. I don't know if I would be able to if I would be able to step up and, and accept the responsibility and be like, you know what, if I if I'm going to die, I, you know, so be it. I still have to try to stop this person. I'm the only one who can. I don't know. I think it, I think it's a very human thing to not be willing to give up your life for something. That's why I think, you know, like police officers and 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 military, like that's that's fucking respectable when when oh, you're yeah. when you're putting yourself in the line of fire. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, I mean, especially once you have like a family and you've got like kids that count on you and stuff. Yeah. Definitely changes the dynamic significantly. Cuz yeah, I don't I don't know if I'd like, you know, unless you were like Superman level superpower, where like, yeah, you're, the risk of something conventional killing Superman is pretty minimal. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't really have to worry about anything. Yeah. So, like, he has to worry more about a bullet bouncing off of him and killing somebody else. Yeah. Which you could just not be concerned about if you didn't want to get all mucked up in it. Yeah. <laughs> if I could think that fast, you know, like, I like it when I see people or when I see creators make him like grab the bullets. Instead of just having them bounce off into the ether. You know, like it's like, okay, they're thinking about that. Or like move his body in just the right ways. Oh, I wish our listeners could have seen the way you were moving your body. That's how Superman would do it. Yeah, just super awkward white boy dance moves. (laughs) I I doubt Clark Kent can do any really smooth dance moves. He can, but he won't because he doesn't want people to suspect that it's really Superman pulling off those dance moves. Yeah, doing the Kryptonian slide. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what would be your, your one word review? Uh, I went with of comic books. I went with joyful. Like they just they bring okay. me like I like I love it, it's just a nice spot of in my day sitting down and reading something that's entertaining. It doesn't have you know, for the most part it doesn't have a whole lot of pretense. It's just good old fashioned fun. Yeah, so would you say that that you gravitate more towards the like like you said the the joyful the humorous the lighter fare oh yeah absolutely i mean like i love like a good gritty story or something that's a little heavier um it's not the kind of thing i want to read every day though yeah and it's hard to get serious uh adult uh things in little bits like you can humorous uh you know humor cartoons or comic strips well yeah it's yeah it's very hard to pull off something really deep and meaningful in like six panels yeah. Well, my one word review for comics, I was thinking about it and, you know, I feel like a cheese ball saying this, but the word I came up with was life because my life has been um, absolutely surrounded by comics. As long as I can remember, I was, I, I don't remember a time 
before I had Superman in my life or Batman. I've I've read them, I've collected them, I've created them, and I still continue to do all of that to this day. So that, you know, it, it really is life for me. I, I can't imagine what my life would be like without comics. It would be a very different experience. I would have had a lot more time and a lot more money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's stupider things to spend your money on than comics. Yeah, like girls. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs them? So... I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do a ranking list. That, that, that figures. Yeah, that, that tracks. Is that is that something we do? But not you know, we. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You don't. You you uh you don't love ranking lists, yeah, do you? Not a big fan. All right, what what do you got for us today, John? Top six non superhero comics I'm thinking of right now. Because <laughs> I because I did it in the moment. It's not best. Yeah, yeah, because the. the top six that came to mind as awesome exactly yeah these are great books that if i was sitting in front of my bookshelf when i did this it probably would be a little bit different but i felt like these needed needed a shout out so first up we have like i like i mentioned the parker series it's great i think there's four or five books before uh before darwin cook passed uh passed away the parker series is a great bunch of heist novels by richard stark i love the books then when uh, when Darwin Cook, who was also a big fan, uh, took over uh, adapting them, uh, he did a really good job. They're fantastic. Next up is Black Sad by Juan Diaz Canales and Juanjo or Juano uh, Guardino or Guanido. They're uh, they're Spanish. Yeah, yeah. The N before the D. I always mix those up. I met him once at a convention. Super super nice dude. Um, he he worked uh with with disney in europe so he's got one of those styles that this is like a these are noir detective stories but featuring anthropomorphic animals so john john blacksad is like a like a panther um and it they they tackle all sorts of issues of the time like the first one's just a straight up murder mystery and then the next one has some conspiracy um that ties into like red scare type of stuff um with communism and and russians and they use like polar bears to to illustrate that one um then there's one actually that takes place in new orleans you might appreciate it um but yeah there's i think there's four of those books and they are gorgeous and they're well written um so please everyone seek those out it's uh put out by dark horse and i hope another one comes out soon next up is captara that's a good one i have read that one yeah, how would you describe Captara? What, like, oh boy, that's a tough one. Um, like a kind of not wacky, but like um, irreverent space Mad Maxian extravaganza. Yeah, yeah, with a, with a little <laughs> bit of Masters of the Universe yeah, thrown in there. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's uh it's fun as hell is what it is. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's for adults. Um, there's definitely a Masters of the Universe um, influence to it, but it goes in in more of a wacky, zany direction. Yeah. A lot of good characters in it. Yes. The characters are fucking great. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, it got through one trade and then just disappeared. I don't, I don't know if people didn't know what to make, what to make of the, the name Captara. Or what? But it was um, written by Chip Zdarsky and illustrated by Kagan McLeod. Man, I wish there would be more of that. Like I, 
I actually saw several copies of it at the used bookstore. And, you know, Image does those trades where they're 10 bucks cover price. So at the used bookstore, they're 5 bucks a piece. I bought two extra ones just so I could loan it out to people. Just yeah. so I could get more people to read this book because it's so good. Like, I, I'm sorry that, that they're not making money on it. You know, but I mean, like, I can't convince somebody to just go out and buy a trade. But hopefully I can spread the word. If there's love for it, then maybe it'll come back. I don't know. Um, and then next up we have uh, Contract with God and Other Tenement Stories. It's got stories like uh, Contract with God, The Street Singer, Super, and Cook-A-Line. Good old Will Eisner. Yep, Will Eisner, a legend. This is considered by some to be the first graphic novel, but more likely it was what commercialized the graphic novel and made it a viable thing. Um, Will Eisner was great at telling um, slice of life stories. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those were taken from his uh, from his childhood, or at least some of the ones in uh, in Cook a Line were. Yeah, I like Will Eisner. Yeah, and a lot of times they they end they end in a sad way. You know, they are not just super happy stories. Like yeah, they're you, real stories. Yeah, you can't count on a happy ending, but they feel very real. Yeah, yeah, and all the people seem like real people. Yeah. He did a he he was very good at that. And then next up we have Preacher. Oh, yeah, I love that. That's an awesome series. If you don't know, go find out. I mean, it's it was uh produced by DC's Vertigo line. It was Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon were the the writer and artist respectively. Um the story of a man who has the word of God and he he and his ex-girlfriend and their vampire buddy are trying to track down god to make him answer for taking off and abandoning people characters like hair star um arse face yeah <laughs> and what was what was the name of that character odin something or other who owned the meat packing factory oh yeah the weird ass yeah creepy naked with the meat dude yes yeah <laughs> spoilers <laughs> um, yeah they're they're awesome books uh they're not for those uh who are easily offended because they're just filled with graphic violence and sexuality and they're not for kids no don't, don't not, buy them for your children not at all i remember when i was in a in biology class in high school and i i just bullshat my way through this project of it was supposed to be a psychology project in in biology and it was like I was like testing like the way different comic books affected your mood. And I, I used, you know, like Archie comics and like superhero comics and then preacher comics. And, and yeah, I, I made up this entire thing about how, you know, all these studies about, you know, what, what, how it affected people's moods and what they were thinking about. And, you know, and, uh, I used preacher in that as the, uh, the one, the one that, Oh, people, start uh start thinking negatively and it really disturbs them and it was all bullshit well i mean that learning good bullshit artistry is probably one of the more useful things you can get out of high school yeah i got good at it it's gonna do you a hell of a lot more good in your professional life than american history is going to yeah or biology yeah unless you're gonna go into a biology field but yeah if that were the case almost every field i wouldn't have bullshit it Almost every field is a bullshitology field, though. <laughs> and then last up on the list, because after, because I was I was looking for a number five, you suggested Preacher. It's like, oh, of course it belongs there, but this sparked one more in me, so that's why it's a top six. Is Transmetropolitan? Oh, um, I haven't, I haven't, I never finished it. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. I went through a couple of years ago, like all of the, all of them showed up, like the entire series showed up at the comic shop, you know, half off cover price because they were used. And I bought the entire series and just binged it. And um, it's, it's really good. It's Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson um, telling the story of a journalist named Spider Jerusalem in kind of a dystopian, not too distant future. And this guy, Spider Jerusalem, takes on these, uh, these politicians essentially for its entire like five-year run and um it's good it is also not for children yeah i I think i got through like the first few trades also spider jerusalem badass name yes anyone out there looking to name your kid put that on the list yeah spider jerusalem richardson that's my ranking list i did it one last thing i wanted to go over here so what is i wanted to talk about what our favorite comic related thing that isn't a comic is like what what uh something that migrated from comics to some other medium you know book movie tv show radio drama opera oh opera mu- musical right. you know spider-man the musical on broadway yeah yeah you know, something right. like that it's what, a bird it's a plane it's superman yeah what 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 our favorite each of our favorite occurrence of that you know comics in the non-comic world is See, I feel like it's a cheap answer. I'm curious if it's the same as what I got, because I know we both have a deep love for it. Probably. I don't know. Oh, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> All right. All right. Go ahead. Uh, mine is definitely Batman the Animated Series. I just absolutely fucking love Batman. That is because you read more Batman. You read more comic books than I ever did. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like I, I've read a lot of Batman comics and I re- I've got a, I like Batman quite a bit but uh that's my batman for the most part like i mean there's some you know some of it's some kind of kid glove stuff in there you know killing you know they didn't kind of cover killing joke or anything in the animated series they didn't quite get that uh gritty but uh i just i think they the way they treated the character and the rogues gallery and uh the music that is the batman theme song as far as i'm concerned kind of it's I think it's Danny Elfman, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Danny. Danny Elfman did the original theme, and then it was uh, it was Shirley Walker that did like the the inner episode themes. But she's she's very well known for you know actually doing an orchestra for you know doing a full orchestral um, uh, score to each episode. Yeah, the, the music was great. The voice acting was great. Oh yeah, um, like that's the voice of Batman in my head. Anytime I read a Batman comic, yeah, one hundred percent. Like it's not. Uh, it's not Christian Bale. No. It's not uh, Adam West. It's, uh, what's that guy's name? Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy, yeah. yeah. Mark Hamill's Joker. Mark, yeah, Mark Hamill's Joker's down. Um, Richard Mole's uh, Two-Face. Like, his Two-Face was great. Like, nobody has captured Two-Face better than they did. Yeah. They, um, they, they just did a lot of things right yeah. on that show. That's another thing from, from the animated series. Oh, by the way, of course, that's mine, yeah. Um, yeah I figured. The Mr. Freeze... Who who was at best, you know, a, a joke before, just became like I I won't use the pun because it's it's too easy, you know. But he had he was emotionless, and he was exactly what a character like Mister Freeze should have been. That, it, but he still had a lot of depth as a character. Yes, like and he had motivation and and he was relatable to a degree. I don't know if I talked about it on the show already once but when i was living in new orleans and i had a uh, quite a bit to drink 
we were out in the other room have, having a good time. And my daughter was in, she was like four. She was in our bedroom and she was watching uh, Batman Sub-Zero. Yeah, yeah. You know, because she was you know, talking about how Mr. Freeze was a bad guy and, you know, kind of say, well, you know, he, yes, he is, he does some bad things, but, you know, trying to explain that he was a complicated villain. I mean, he wasn't, you know, a one-dimensional psychopath. Yeah. He had w- complicated motivations and, and, you know, he's trying to keep Nora alive and this and that. And, but I mean, just, I was three sheets to the wind having a in-depth conversation about Mr. Freeze's motivations in that movie with my four-year-old daughter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That show did it right. You know, and the same thing, like you say, Kevin Conroy's voice, um, when you read Batman comics, like I hear Mark Hamill's voice. Whenever I hear the Joker, mm-hmm. oh, having yeah. them both there for the the Arkham series, the those video games, yeah, it was spectacular. Like that was exactly what it should be. Oh, those are that, that's a good contender too. Those games were really good. Also, I really loved the Superman cartoon, but it's it, it's not better than Batman. Same thing with Justice League Unlimited. That that was a great cartoon. Being able to see all of the heroes, you know, together in that Bruce Timm style. Young and Justice is really good too. Young Justice is fantastic. I'm really happy it's coming back for a third season. D- DC's cinematic universe may be a hot fucking mess, but their animated universe has got some real on point stuff. Like yeah. their animated stuff is good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They they are they've earned their position as the king of that. Well, I guess in conclusion, if that I think that's where we are now in conclusion, uh Yeah, I think so. Comics are great. And I wish I had time to read more of them, and uh, I like them when they're free. I agree with that one hundred percent. Like I said earlier, like I don't, I don't know what my life would be without comics. Um, Boring. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, sequential storytelling. You know, it's like, uh, it's. I don't know. It's you know, there, there's something to be said for word books where you can use your imagination. And then there's something to be said for movies where you don't use any imagination. They do it for you. But comics is somewhere in between where they give you the keyframes. They give you the look and you get to fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. You get to put your own voices and your own performances to the things you're you're looking at. And it's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I, I consider myself a storyteller. You know, when, I, when, it, when it's in my off hours drawing comics. Um, or when it's my on hours, you know, working for, for on hours, is that a thing? I don't know. If if you got off hours, you gotta have on hours, (laughs) right? Yeah. My, my work hours, uh, you know, creating animation or videos, you know, it's, it's all storytelling and I, and it all stems from, from comic books. You know, I, I love comics. I love movies, but you know, I sitting down with a, with a good tasty comic is one of my favorite things to do. And it always will be. On that note. Yeah. We'll uh, call it a podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today, folks. If you uh, like or hate what you hear, let us know at email at geeksplorationpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at geeksplorationpodcast or Twitter at geeksplorepod. If you enjoyed the show today, please drop us a five-panel review on Apple Podcast. It uh, definitely helps get the word out. Also, you can go to geeksplorationpodcast.com and subscribe and get notified when new episodes drop. Our theme song is Cruising for Goblins by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Until next time, Excelsior!
folks, John and Ben here. We just uh, we wanted to acknowledge a big deal that happened in our community a couple weeks ago now. It was, of course, unless you're living under a rock, you heard about it, the death of Stan the Man Lee, creator, co-creator of... Uh, Everything. Yeah, yeah. Mar- Marvel Comics, <laughs> Mar- <laughs> for the most part. Um, the comics industry would not be what it is right now if not for his contribution. Yeah, and the uh, and I imagine all of Marvel's movies will now fail without his cameos. Well, that's what, what everyone was going for. From what I hear, uh, they about a year ago or so they recorded lots of future cameos because they. Oh really? Yeah. So he'll still be in the next few movies. Awesome. Yeah, and it, it'll be really touching to see him in yeah. uh, in Avengers Four. I'm excited about that. We recorded this episode before he passed, and uh, it really seemed remiss of us to uh, not acknowledge that. Yeah. Since we're releasing it afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. His creations were were a big part of my childhood, and yeah, I mean even my adulthood. What am I What am I saying? <laughs> I'm a huge comic geek as it is still. So. Um, yeah, whether it's Spider-Man or Fantastic Four, I've been I've been working on a on a tribute piece the past since it happened. I just haven't had a lot of time, so I've been plugging away at it. I'll be done soon, but it's it's really cool drawing out his legacy, and he will be missed. Yeah. So, but at least if you if you believe in the afterlife, he's up there hanging out with his wife Joni and Steve Ditko, who passed earlier this year, and Jack Kirby, who's been gone for a while and john buscema you know all those all those marvel bullpen legends who uh you know without them the comics industry may not exist at all so we all we we owe them a big debt good job stan excelsior